imagine the rate that the rise of the aggregators has now actually put the spotlight on the use of sub-agents and therefore on the risks that uh, come with it because I guess that now creates a bigger push even for regulation, a bigger push for quality benchmarks, a bigger push for transparency probably more than ever before because usually for things to change the problem needs to first be very very clear. This and more in the new episode of the ICEF podcast, the leading global podcast series for international student recruitment professionals in all corners of the world. Be sure to subscribe via your favourite podcast player and join us for a new episode available every month. This month's main topic sponsor is ICEF Digital. Our keys to the market sponsor is COISEC, the Confederation of Intercultural Exchange Organisations in Ecuador. Welcome back everyone to the ISEF podcast and thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Martijn van der Veen and in the main topic of this month's episode, we will be tackling the so-called sub-agent dilemma and explore the pros and cons of aggregated international student recruitment. We'll explain, of course, what that all means and we'll have a thought-provoking discussion on this topic together with two very experienced international education experts who have some strong views and opinions to share with us, and I really look forward to introducing them to you at the start of the main topic. First, however, we will briefly discuss some recent news and developments in international education together with Craig Riggs, Editor-in-Chief of ISAF Monitor, and after the main topic, Craig and I will continue with a look at Ecuador from an international student recruitment perspective in our monthly Keys to the Market section. Coming up, the main topic for discussion for this episode. But first, as in each month, we kick off with a look at some recent news and developments in international education. Hi Craig, welcome back. I hope you're all set because, as always, we have a lot to talk about. Indeed, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. I just had a double espresso myself, so I'm all set. I would like to start, Craig, with the British government's recent announcement that international students will no longer be able to bring their families over to the UK. I believe that only students on postgraduate courses, I mean, the ones that are designated as research programs, will still be able to bring their families. Quite the bombshell announcement, I believe, some three weeks ago. And I was just curious how this will now affect UK's strong position in, uh, in the international education industry. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's certainly a very important development that we have been watching closely. Um, it takes place in the context of a larger conversation, a larger debate about international students in the UK that seems to cycle every few years uh, in this very important destination. And it has to do with the fact that uh, international students are counted in net migration statistics in the UK. That is to say, just the number of migrants that that come and stay in the UK year after year, uh, international students are counted among those uh, in, in those net migration statistics. And as any of our listeners in the UK will understand very well, that net migration statistic and the debate around migration policy in the UK is always an incredibly politically sensitive area. And so I'm afraid that international students, policies around international students get drawn into that larger immigration debate in the UK periodically. And we seem to be in one of those periods again just now. Interesting how politics influence such an important sector that contributes so much to the local economy. So I'm sure that the industry uh, agrees with what I just said. But how has do we do we see any official objections from uh, the key stakeholders in uh, in our in our industry? 
Yeah, no, it's, I think the response, the industry response has been fairly measured to this point, uh, from what I can see. The um, stakeholders in the UK understand that this is part of a larger political conversation within the country. There has been, there have been rumors circulating for some time that the government was prepared to take more extraordinary measures, such as curbing the post-study work rights of, inter, of, of foreign graduates, for example, uh, or other such restrictions on international students in the UK. And so I think that probably the announcement around uh, accompanying family members that was made this month was met with a bit, uh, a kind of a mixture of concern on the one hand that the government was taking this step, but relief that they were not taking more extraordinary steps. So the I think the response that we've seen to this point has been concern, but somewhat measured in that regard. Right, right. So now the UK, of course, remains a very popular study destination in spite of these restrictions, let alone the in spite of the relatively high tuition fees for international students, um, a popular study destination that is known for its affordable education is now actually reporting a significant rise in tuition fees. Sorry, I, I moved on to China. I'm talking about China, where apparently the <laughs> tuition fees are being raised, sometimes even by 50% or more at institutions throughout the country. So this has now led to speculations that international student tuitions may soon be on the rise as well, uh, Craig, what does this in this case mean for China's position as a relatively affordable destination for foreign students? Well, I think it means a number of things. Uh, this is a extraordinary development, I would say, in China. Uh, it's not common for, in fact, it's quite uncommon for tuition fees to be increased for domestic students in China. The Chinese higher education system, as all of our listeners will be aware, has expanded dramatically. It's arguably the largest expansion of higher education in any one country in the history of the world over the last couple of decades. And what you have is a higher education system that is primarily composed of public institutions that are reliant primarily uh, for their budgets on public funding. But these institutions now operate in a context of a cooling Chinese economy. Uh, government funding is more constrained as a result. Um, and we are seeing some financial, I, I think we can understand the tuition increase that's been announced uh, this month as a sign of uh, financial pressure on that higher education system. And so that's the first thing that's important about it. The second thing that's important about it is that the increase itself is a rare event, as I say, it's the first increase of note in the last couple of decades. And as you say, those uh, the increases vary by province around the country, but they range from, you know, 10 to 15 percent in some cases to uh, 50, 50 percent or more in other cases. And so that's a, a significant increase by anybody's reckoning. And it does, in turn, put pressure on international student fees. There is a study that is circulating in China right now that is conducted by a group of Chinese academics that recommends nothing less than a five-fold increase in international student fees in the country. So as it happens, international student fees are normalized, they're standardized across China. Uh, for the most part, students pay the international students pay the same uh, tuition fee at, at one institution as they do at the next across the country. And so the idea that there might now be a substantial increase in those fees is obviously an, is an attention-getting piece of news for any prospective students that are considering studying in China. Right. Well, we can all, of course, uh, assume and hope that this increase in tuition revenue will then lead to more investment in research, infrastructure, and other areas that can help improve 
the institution's global rankings and reputations. And of course, next time there will be an increase, we will be discussing that here as well in the Indeed. ICD podcast. Up next, the main topic of this month, tackling the sub-agent dilemma, exploring the pros and cons of aggregated recruitment. But first, a brief message about ICEF's newest conference, ICEF Digital, scheduled November 3rd in Berlin. We all know that the international education sector is going through an unprecedented digital transformation. And let's face it, it's not always that easy to keep track of all of the digital and AI-powered solutions that are available for student recruitment professionals and for the broader international education community. ChatGPT, Generative AI, CRM, Blockchain, Augmented Reality, Cloud Computing, SEO, the list is endless. So how to stay on top of the latest innovations, where to start, and what does this all mean for your organization, your team, and your students? Join us at ICEF Digital, November 3rd, 2023, where we will provide the answers to these questions and more. Because in the end, it's not about understanding how these technologies work. It's about understanding how these technologies can work for you. ICEF Digital is a full day of interactive sessions, panel discussions, and presentations on a broad range of digital topics, such as digital marketing, digital recruitment platforms, customer relationship management, admission software, AI-powered chatbots, digital testing, and proctoring. Sessions are led by esteemed industry experts, keynote speakers, and thought leaders, including Salesforce's chief AI architect, Amiya, Duolingo's head of artificial intelligence, heads of marketing of both TikTok and Snap Inc., alongside renowned scientists and professors who will update us on all subjects like artificial intelligence, digital media, and blockchain technology, and how they relate to international education. So join us at ICEF Digital, November 3rd, at the Intercontinental Berlin, just two days before the industry's main annual gathering, ICEF Berlin, making your Berlin journey all the more effective. Coffee breaks, refreshments, lunch, and an evening reception are all included. For more information and tickets, please visit icef.com forward slash digital. You can visit that same page for information about exhibition or sponsorship options icef.com forward slash digital. See you there. Eyes of Digital. Now that sounds very exciting indeed. And of course, we hope to meet you all there on November 3rd in Berlin. On to our main topic, tackling the sub-agent dilemma, exploring the pros and cons of aggregated recruitment. And for this tackling and exploring, Craig and I are joined by two senior, and I may say highly experienced industry experts. Our first guest is a multi-award-winning international education professional with over 30 years experience. He has worked for public and private sector higher education providers, for a media agency specializing in higher education marketing, and for various recruitment agencies. He is a former member of the General Council of the European Association for International Education, EAIE, and currently the Senior Vice President at recruitment platform Adventus. Welcome, Chris Price. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Our second guest is a social edutech entrepreneur, human rights activist, and regulated Canadian immigration consultant, RCIC, with over 20 years expertise in international education and recruitment from Eastern Europe, India, and South Asia. 
Welcome, Dr. Gotham Kaluri. Pleasure to join ISF podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Gotham. Social edutech entrepreneur, Gotham, can you explain in one sentence, preferably, what that means? Uh, well, you know, uh, you know, what I've seen is when you are successful, it is important to give back to the community. It is important to give back to what we are doing. And that has been a success. And, uh, you know, helping the society benefit, the community benefit, and obviously it will benefit industry. All right. Well, gentlemen, allow me to set the stage for our conversation. Uh, building a sub-agent network has been a well-known strategy in international education for many years. Sub-agents can provide uh, education providers with a range of advantages, such as expanding market reach, leveraging local exper expertise, increasing diversity, and of course, enhancing conversion rates. Now, the use of sub-agents, however, also has its challenges, and with the dramatic increase in sub-agent recruitment fueled by the emergence of agent aggregators, more and more concerns are being raised about such challenges, which include things like quality control, transparency, data security, and potential conflicts of interest. In addition, the absence of direct relationships between agents and education providers can expose institutions to reputational risks, for example, when sub-agents engage in unethical practices or provide misleading information to their students. We've all seen some examples of fraudulent practices in the news recently, so I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into these pros and cons of sub-agent use, but I also want to make sure, Craig, that we all talk about the same thing. So do you maybe start with describing exactly what is a sub-agent and maybe what is not. Yeah, sure. Well, the as you say, it's not a new idea. Uh, it's a long-standing practice in the industry. And the in a nutshell, a sub-agent is, is an agent that is indirectly referring students to an institution through an authorized agent. So let's say there's an agent, uh, let's make it concrete. Let's say there's an agent in Beijing who, with whom a university has uh, a signed agreement. So that agent is an authorized representative of the, of the university. Uh, that agent in turn has sub-agent relationships with um, several additional agencies and other cities throughout China. Uh, those uh, sub-agents recruit on the authorized agent's behalf and all of the uh, applications flow through the authorized agent to the institution. So the institution may not be aware at all of the sub-agents but they are playing an active role, if an indirect role, in, in terms of the agent, the primary agent uh, institution relationship in recruiting for that institution. So it is an extra layer of recruitment agents, right? So I guess that a, let's say, an immigration agent that a recruitment agent works with is not necessarily positioned as a sub-agent. Uh, it's That's a question of what it's a, I think the question arises as to whether the agency is engaged directly by the institution or not. So if, if uh, it, by definition, I guess we would consider it a sub-agent if the additional party is not directly, does not have a direct agreement or contract with the institution in question, right? So it's uh, regardless of type of organization, whether it's an immigration agency or another um, education agent or any other third party, um, if they don't operate within a direct agreement with the university, they could be considered a sub-agent. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, I'm sure you'll agree, Chris, that agents in general are an important part, right, of the international education landscape. They provide valuable services. Um, would you say that that includes sub-agents? Uh, yeah, absolutely, Martin. I think, um, you know, we, we all know the importance of agents in terms of offering high-quality advising to students about the plethora 
the hundreds of thousands of courses and services available to them in, in, in thousands, tens of thousands of universities in all the major destination countries. So we, we all get that agents are important. I mean, they, I often use the example of they're like lawyers, they're like architects, they're like doctors. They You go to an expert for advice on something that is a highly complicated purchase decision and a very expensive purchase decision. So you will seek quality advice from a professional person to get you from A to Z in terms of the, your higher education journey. Sub-agents just form a layer beneath that in many ways. Um, as we've all alluded to, the idea of sub-agents or aggregation is not new. It's been going on for time immemorial. As long as I've worked in this industry, that has been going on. It's just about how transparent it is or not and whether agents, sub-agents, whatever you want to call them, the layers are acting in the best interest of students, which, of course, they should always do. That's what it's about at the end of the day, helping uh, young people normally, but some people, older people like me, sometimes going, you know, finding the right course at the right institution in the right country and having a successful study experience and successful outcomes, which is what it's all about at the end of the day. So I think both layers form a very important part of our industry's success. Thanks for that, uh, Chris. So you mentioned multiple layers, and I guess that means you agree with the fact, right, that these agencies and sub-agents play an important role in uh, in the international education landscape. Gotham, what's your view on that? I, I think it's safe to say that you actually strongly oppose the sub-agent network business model for international student recruitment. So what, what are your main objections to this model? Right, indeed. Uh, you know, I personally think that there is no place for sub-agent recruitment in the industry uh, you know personal again it's my personal position which have been uh, you know i was an international student myself i worked in public colleges as an international students recruitment officer and by education i'm actually a general physician so you know i have a holistic approach just for like medicine right we treat people with the sickness and disease and education education transforms people's life and this is a very very responsible profession and uh, I think uh, you know we have to take we have to take responsibility of the student. We are transforming the student's life from their home country to a new country, and we are creating and affecting the future. So all the stakeholders who are involved in the international education should ensure student success. In an ideal world, as my colleague Chris have noted for many years, right? It is true. If everybody had uh, you know, this ideal intentions, definitely yes. But again, what we are seeing in India, especially right, it is a big concern today. Unfortunately, it is not the reason. It is becoming, uh, you know, as we've discussed many times, it's it's becoming student trafficking uh, through sub-agent recruitment. So holistic approach, ensuring that student success from the study visa, from the initial career process till the end, until the student comes to a new country, succeeds. This is what the role of an education agency is, and that is what we have practiced. And what is then your main objection to the use of sub-agent? Because I'd imagine, as in any industry, you've got good actors, you've got bad actors. Isn't it simply important to identify the right sub-agent, uh, make sure there's transparency, make sure it's regulated, um, rather than dismissing all sub-agents? Uh, you know, again, the first thing before we get into the dialogue, is it required, right? Uh, from my perspective, if an agency is doing a great job and the role of an agency is to be directly in touch with the students, provide support extensively throughout the entire journey, right? That's that's very important. But again, I 
primarily focus in this discussion. Indian sub-market, there might be other countries where sub-agent networking might be relevant, but in India at this point, it is not. What is happening in this today's days is basically 20,000 plus sub-agents, not regulated. You do not know the qualifications. Like they're surprising people who's not a primary profession in education. They're doing it more, you know, as a multi-level business marketing. That is now the sub-agent recruitment. They might be some good people, definitely, yes. But again, there are also many bad actors. If you look into the state of Punjab, what is happening out there? It's a top five for students. They're so desperate. The desperation of the aggregators or the other agencies, master agents who are working through the B2B network, there's a criminal element who, uh, you know, if caught, he goes to the other aggregator or another master agent and continues to do his, uh, his uh, you know, illegal activities. And that is what has happened. Like, if you remember last year, there was, uh, there was a group of people from Gujarat, a young family with a small child died trying to cross to the U.S., and in the same group, there were other young people who actually ended up in Canada through study visa, and this was facilitated through the sub-agent. So, yes, ideally, if the system is transparent and if, you know, all the actors in, involved, if there is transparency and if there is accountability, it makes sense. But again, uh, you know, I personally think that in our business model, which is, which is international education in our industry, a holistic approach, to ensure student success is more important. And this is achievable only when we have 100% contact with the students. It's important to know the student, the background, the financial background, parents' background, what is the student's interest and taking it forward. And this is achievable only when we are working directly and not just as an aggregator, you know, what's happening to the aggregators, basically a courier service, getting the applications from sub-agents and sending it to the college. Right. Well, well, let me get back to the holistic approach, because I guess everyone here on this podcast agrees with that approach. I I would say, uh, Craig, that the the bad actors reflect badly on the entire industry. And this conversation should not so much be about yes or no against uh, the use of sub-agents, but it's more a conversation about transparency, regulation, accreditation, and legislation, isn't it? In many respects, yes, it is. You know, when we talk about how you promote quality service between um, agents and institutions and as they're working together to serve international students, those are the types of things that come forward in every conversation and in, in, in best practice in this area. So an emphasis on transparency and accountability of each party to each other in the in that relationship. For example, uh, we see this reflected in any types of uh, international codes of conduct or national standards that are de- that are developed around international student recruitment. Those are the important themes that come to the fore. And you know, it is, um, I think, an important question when talking about subagents because of that indirect relationship that the subagent has with the institution to which the student is being referred. Right, that subagent does not have a direct agreement or contract with that university or institution or school, and so it's harder—not impossible, but perhaps harder—you could argue—to maintain those ideas of transparency and accountability in that context. And I think you know, it's as we said at the outset, this is hardly a new model. It's a, it's it's a mechanism that has existed within the industry for some time. Uh, what is different now, perhaps, is that the size of these subagent networks is growing larger and larger. And the but by the same token, 
you know, you could also argue that practice is advancing in this area, that uh, or organizations like uh, Chris's at Adventus, like they have, you know, QA mechanisms in place to promote good practice among uh, sub-agents or agents on the platform. I'm sure Chris can say more about that, but that's a, you know, in our examination of, of um, so-called agent aggregators, that's something that, I mean, you see a lot of attention being given to that, right? It's hard to see into that system and understand how effective those mechanisms are, but certainly I think there are a lot of good faith efforts being made to promote good practice amongst agents and sub-agents on the platform. And with QA, you mean quality assessment? Yes, sorry, quality assurance, yeah. Quality assurance, and Chris, would yeah. you like to comment on that? Yes, certainly, I, I, and I think uh, Craig's right. I mean, any organization that's trying to bring efficiencies to the international student recruitment ecosystem, you know, should be welcomed, right? As long as the quality assurance piece is is met. Look, I've spent years and years working in universities at a very senior level and sub-agents always made us nervous. We understand that. There's good reasons for that. But there's a certain amount of organizations that what they do is they 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 bring that they bring a lot of sub-agents into the tent and train them and make sure that they're operating in the right way, that they are acting in the best interest of students, that they are following quality practices and codes of practice that are issued by various national governments. And that's something we do. We, you know, we understand that, um, you know, quality checks the same way a university does when it's contracting an agency bilaterally. That's what we do to our recruiter network. So some agent in Indonesia wants to send more students to Australia. They've been sending them to the UK, for example. They want to send them to Australia. But for them, getting 35 university contracts is an incredibly expensive, time-intensive and laborious process. So what we do is we say, you can, if you work with us and if you pass our tests, our our admissions process, our, our sort of quality assessment of you as an organization, of which are extremely thorough, I would argue there is at least as thorough as a university would ask of an agency business bilaterally. And if they pass those tests, those ACID tests with us, they can use our platform, which is not open source software. You have to be given a password and a login to use it. You have to uh, pass a number of quality assurance thresholds in order to be able to use a platform like Adventus's. Um, and then even at that stage, once the students are, with their agents are using the platform, they're finding the right course at the right university. In our Indonesian example, he's found a really good place at a university in Australia. Even then, we once the student's common application or application form is uploaded into our platform, and all their documents and their finances and all the kind of things that you would expect a university to look at when they're making an admission decision. At that stage, that student legally becomes an Adventist student anyway. So, so on our head be it, we, we take full responsibility for these students and we don't take on cases where we feel that there's been some misadvice in any way, shape or form. Um, or if we ever feel that a recruiter is, is not acting in the best interest of students or is operating any kind of uh, fraudulent or, or uh, difficult, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing, they're immediately unplugged anyway. We are brutal about these matters because we understand quality of student arrivals is what our university and college partners want. And we want to help young people make great decisions. And that's what 
organizations like ours do. They bring efficiencies to a large ecosystem. And in many ways, we provide that quality assurance for both parties in both directions of a marketplace. These are all very good examples of self-regulation where you, of course, focus on the quality of recruitment process because I would imagine that if you wouldn't, uh, you would suffer the consequences as an organization. Uh, in, the, in the end, I would imagine the quality, the ones that provide this quality, that provide the transparency, that um, have these regulations in place are the ones that will eventually survive and thrive. Oh, absolutely. And, you, you know, at the end of the day, and I'm probably going to keep saying it and over saying it, that, you know, if we're not acting in the best interests of students, then we shouldn't be acting at all. I guess we can all agree on that. The students at the centre. So, Gotham, do, do we need government-imposed regulation on the use of sub-agents, or would you rule them out entirely? Uh, to be honest, I would probably rule them out entirely because, um, you know, ideally, if it was true, it would have been working, but it is not working. And they have thousands and thousands of examples happening every year in India in Punjab and every day I talk, I'm an, I'm an RCIC and every day four hours I'm talking, giving free consultation to prospective students. So I think there is no place for sub-agent. One, because it is impossible to bring in accountability. Second, the situation, the financial situation of aggregators, I would probably say given that there are so many aggregators and agencies doing things are desperate. There's one very notorious sub-agent He's one of the best performers for an aggregator. He charges twenty-five to $30,000 for a study visa, right? So there is, the situation is desperate. When it's a question of about survival, unfortunately, ethics are bent. And this is what is happening today. And that is the reason to ensure, like maybe in the other markets, it might work out. But again, it, it like I'm functioning seven of seven countries and seven offices in India alone with just a budget of under million dollars and we recruit more than thousand students. I could go in with aggregators and I can get in more. I can be an aggregator myself and get in more. But again, the system is not working. Ideally, if the system was working and if the aggregators were doing a due diligence or if the agencies or the criminal elements have a huge opportunity, if they are stopped and plugged in by one aggregator, they will jump to another aggregator. There is huge demand. People really want to come into the system, make some you know, quick money. And there's also desperation for all the people who use the study visa pathway to come to move abroad. And that is basically what is funneling the whole. If you remove India from the system and Nigeria from the system, not a single aggregator will survive more than a month. I think it's not, a que it's not an Indian or a Nigerian question. For me, it's a it's more the nature of the thing, right? It's, there's nothing particular about India that makes it uh, a site where we have it makes it a market where we see more of these concerns. It's only that it is such a large marketplace, right? This is what a a colleague of ours um, at a recent uh, event where we where we were speaking together referred to as the the law of large numbers, right? You have large numbers of students moving from India to other countries. And therefore, there are going to be larger incidences of, of, uh, of, 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 of cases of concern, right, if we can put it that way. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here in Canada, and we have had a number of cases in Canada in, in the last year or two uh, that primarily concern Indian students and issues, uh, cases where, where those students are being taken advantage of in, in some way or another. They're being poorly served by some combination of the agent or the institutions that are receiving them, right? So the, and I think that's, if I may, 
that's another important point to advance here, in fact, is that not only is this a not an issue that relates to an individual market, such as India or Nigeria, in my mind, um, it's not an issue that is primarily uh, an issue of agents, right? Institutions and schools have tremendous responsibility in this area. And that's my, my perspective as, as someone who has recruited for uh, both small and larger institutions here in Canada. And the, uh, you know, that responsibility for the student is a shared responsibility to say the least. And for the institution receiving the student, ultimately the responsibility is on the shoulders of that institution or school to ensure that, this, that, the, uh, that the student is well served. Um, along with any additional oversight of the performance of institutions, there is a lot of important work to be done with respect to regulating agents, but, I, but the most effective initiatives in that regard, I think based on everything that we see in markets around the world, the most effective mechanism is self-regulation mm -hmm. by establishing good quality controls and standards of practice within the industry and holding uh, agents and others to account to the to those standards. That's the that's the uh, important piece with respect to regulation that I think is probably not spoken of enough. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And at the end of the day, um, the university owns the the moment of admission. The, the university, the college, the school will decide which students will be offered a place at their their institutions, and therefore. There is a responsibility. I mean, I did it myself for 20 years, so, and we took it very seriously. It's, um, you know, we have to make the right decision for the right outcome for that individual student. Um, but uh, to go back to the whole issue of agents and sub-agents, and are we all acting in the best interest thereof, the, the student in particular? And obviously, one thing you do when you are an organisation like Adventus is you you are acting in the best interests of, of three three very bespoke stakeholder groups the students the agents the advisors that help the students we call them recruiters and then the institutions that receive them so it's an ecosystem and I think you're right Craig it is a very large ecosystem it's not specifically about one country over another country I mean you find prevalence of fraud in certain places over other places in the world and I think what you have to be is obviously aware of that and actually have even more robust processes in place to ensure that you eliminate those problems. I'll give you one example again from my organization. We set, we, we are a radically transparent organization. People ask us for information and as long as it's not commercially sensitive, we will give it to them. So if our university partners who work with us, they want to know who is in your sub-agent network in Bangladesh, we, we tell them, you know, we want them to know and we want them to tell us if they're unhappy with anybody in that list and we will eliminate them from that list. It's very, very straightforward and it's it's very radically transparent. It's one of our values, in fact. But I think at the end of the day, you have to look at quality benchmarks. If you have to prove something, you prove it through data, not just me saying nice things. So 90% of all the students that we send applications to our, our higher education partners the benchmark KPI is 90% of those applications should be accepted and an offer should be issued. From that group, the ones that then accept their offers and wish to progress down the, the, the student recruitment pipeline, we have 99.24 or something along those lines percent. It does change very, very slightly from day to day or week to week. But most of our universities, for example, in the UK, we have 100% visa compliance so that, to me, indicates 
quality advice, quality services, using sub-agents, if we're going to use that term as a kind of lead generation, but we do the quality assurance on the applicant. We make sure that the finances are in place, that they're qualified for the course they want to do, that they are, you know, the the the, the course of study is appropriate to the outcome, i.e. what they want to achieve with their lives, and they have a high probability of getting a visa issued. So, so we, we take on those kind of cases. And and, and Gunnar's right. I mean, a lot of what he says, I agree with, you know, surprisingly, perhaps. But, you know, we all want to make sure that people who are misadvising and and doing fraudulent activities are eliminated from our industry. Um, so I think at the end of the day, if if there's a robust quality assurance and we're all acting correctly, then if anything, organizations like Adventus or marketplaces or aggregators, whatever term you want to use, they bring certain efficiencies. You're saying that if we are all acting correctly, right? If we're all acting responsibly, the reality is, of course, that not everyone does. However, it, I guess actually, isn't it great that the the rise of the, and I'll use your preferred word, aggregators has, has now actually put the spotlight more on the use of sub-agents and therefore on the risks that uh, come with it because i guess that now creates a a bigger push even for regulation a bigger push for quality benchmarks uh, a bigger push for transparency probably more than ever before because usually for things to change the problem needs to first be very very clear look it, it, unless you've got something to hide you don't mind the spotlight being on you i certainly don't mind i'm regularly asked to speak at, at things like this and very other organizations um, you know i was talking about working with agents at the british university international office association only last week so i'm i'm very happy to 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 be put under the spotlight um and i think you know you, you only hide if you if you're doing something wrong um so in terms of regulation um i think regulate it depends what it is of course um you don't want regulation that that kills the industry but you but if if you know you do want regulation that in that irons out all the problems that i was been talking about absolutely 100 uh, percent we have to eliminate bad practice and eliminate those bad actors and name and shame them I'm, I'm quite brutalist about this i think it's important that that we do that um but if 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 say the UK government is looking at regulatory frameworks at the moment, and the, the University International Office Association is consulting on that with the British Council and Universities UK, it's very serious. People are, are, are talking about um, you know talking together about what a what a what a sensible framework would look like, and codes of practice which have existed for a long time. We should all be following absolutely one hundred percent. But we have to be careful that regulation doesn't kill our industry in terms of making it impossible for that ecosystem I talk about, the, the efficiencies of the ecosystem that help people at the end of the day. It's what agents do. Their job is, good agents, their job is to help people, advise them on what is a highly complex and very expensive decision uh, to make, one of the most expensive decision uh, one of the most expensive decisions somebody will make in their life and to make sure they get the best advice possible to make the right choice. And I think as long as everybody's bearing that in mind at all times, then it can work. And I'm not sure how, you know, regulation or government or laws that, that restrict your 
ability to provide quality services is a particularly useful thing. Well, I'm not sure that regulation always means um, making it harder. It actually probably also leads to making processes clearer and more transparent. But, but Craig, in terms of regulation, I believe that the Canadian government is working on a new strategy, right, for the international education, where, of course, this whole topic of fraud is playing an important role. Do you see this now leading to very strict regulation, as Chris fears? I I think we have to understand that that's a possibility uh, in the current process. I think we also have to be realistic about what can be regulated here. You know, you can't you know, the the conduct of an agency in Nigeria or Bangladesh or India is 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 out the business status and the and, and the performance of that agency is outside of the purview of, of the Canadian government or any government authority in Canada. And it's impractical to uh, in my view, it's impractical for any government to try and regulate uh, that type of actor. The things that governments can influence is more the other end of the uh, of the spectrum that I was describing earlier, you know, a, a government, a national government or a provincial government in the case of Canada can, uh, can certainly impose regulation on the institutions and schools that are within its jurisdiction. And I think that, you know, to Gotham's point, you know, if, if students, you know, students, uh, you know, if a, if a student has been poorly served, if a, if, if a student is not well qualified or is not well fitted for the institution or school to which they've applied, uh, surely the agent bears some responsibility for that. But if the institution or school admits that student, then surely that institution also bears a tremendous responsibility. The admissions decision belongs to the institution. The quality of programs and services that are provided to those students belongs to the institution. And so I think there is a role for regulatory oversight here, but it's probably on that. And to be realistic and also to have the greatest effect, it's probably you know on that end of the spectrum. The um, examples that we see around the world that are more effective uh, put their regulatory focus in, on, on squarely on the institutions that are receiving students. And I think that, you know, personally, that's where I have the, the greater concern in this equation is the, you know, um, you know, how quickly institutions or schools are growing enrollments, um, how thorough their examinations are during the admissions process, how adept they are in expanding and scaling student services, including housing supports for students, uh, growing numbers of international students. I think those are, you know, matters of quality and student experience that we should all be concerned with. And those are more squarely under the purview of any regulatory authorities, whether we're talking about Canada or any other destination. The concerns are definitely valid and it's very important that we have conversations like we have here right where we voice the issues with key stakeholders it's, it's good to see that the industry is responding to it that recruitment platforms are um are taking the series as well and of course as we all know icep has been very serious on this topic for 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 decades simply by thoroughly screening and verifying thousands of agencies um, on a daily basis um and as icep of course we'll make sure to keep talking about this topic here in the podcast but also in, in webinars and of course at our events and we sincerely hope Gotham and Chris that you will continue to be part of that conversation and as such that you will also be part of that solution. Just to add you know there's always demand and if there is demand no regulations will actually cut the demand. It is our responsibility to serve the students better and to ensure that they are successful and as an education agent the role should be 
supporting the students back home in the journey and after they come here to Canada, UK, supporting the students to be successful. That is the role of a true education consultant. Wonderful uh, final words, Gotham. Thank you very much for that. Chris, have you any final words to share uh, for our main topic? Again, I, I agree with a lot of what's been said today, perhaps some parts not, but the, the vast majority of this I, I totally concur with. I think at the end of the day, let the data speak for itself. Let's see what, you know, how many students uh, get made offers, how many of them accept their offers, how many of them receive visas, how many of them enroll on campus and how many of them have a successful study experience and matriculate in good standing. If you look at all those parts of the student journey, and take those data points all the way along it, you will very quickly see who's a good actor or a bad actor. Wonderful data is indeed very important. And it's also very important for us not to ignore the issues that exist in our industry, but to actually um, voice them, talk about them, have discussions like this, where sometimes we agree and sometimes we disagree, and we'll continue to do that. Uh, thank you very much again, uh, Gotham and Chris, and see you soon at one of our ISEF events. Up next, Keys to the Market, where this month we focus on Ecuador. We'll start with a brief message from our Keys to the Market sponsor, COISEC, the Confederation of Intercultural Exchange Organizations in Ecuador. Are you ready to unlock a world of opportunities? In Ecuador, the work and study abroad industry is flourishing like never before. Ecuadorian students are hungry for success and they know that the path to achieving their goals lies beyond their borders. I dream of studying abroad to broaden my knowledge and gain a competitive edge in my field. And guess what? Ecuador being a dollarized country has caught the attention of parents who are eager to invest in their children's future by sending them to English-speaking countries. As a parent, I want to give my child every advantage. That's why I believe in the power of studying and working abroad. But how do you find the right programs and ensure a seamless journey? COISEC, the Confederation of International Education and Cultural Exchange, stands at the forefront of Ecuador's work and study abroad industry. We proudly represent agencies such as WEA, Explorer, Apex, Ordex, and Representations Academicas, names you can trust. Are you ready to embrace the limitless opportunities that await you? Visit our website today. The official name of Ecuador is República del Ecuador, which literally means the Republic of the Equator. The country in northwestern South America is bordered by Colombia on the north, Peru on the east and south, and the Pacific Ocean on the west. Ecuador also includes the Galapagos Islands in the Pacific, and the country's capital and largest city is Quito. Now, the population is relatively young. Some 38% of its roughly 18 million inhabitants are under 20 years of age, which I believe, Craig, makes Ecuador relatively attractive, but maybe not that well-known source market for international student recruitment. I think that's exactly the right way to characterize it. It is, uh, it, it, you know, again, we talk about market fundamentals all the time when we're looking at uh, emerging sending markets, and Ecuador is one of those markets with strong fundamentals in terms of a large college-age population, uh, strong and stable economy. Uh, those are the factors that are primarily driving growth in outbound mobility from Ecuador. It remains, you know, relative to some of the other markets that we discuss, it remains a relatively uh, modest sending market. You know, we're seeing, you know, in the range of 20 to 30,000 students a year going abroad, but that's enough to, to, to warrant the attention of recruiters that are working in the region, certainly. And, uh, and, and, and I think important to note 
that that overall volume of outbound students continues to grow quite steadily both before and after covid and so it's it's a it's definitely a market to watch and it's definitely a market that has an increasing role to play in the latin american recruitment strategies of many institutions yeah latin american it is because spanish language destinations seem to be the most popular right? or the most popular spain number one argentina or even the u.s a country where mm-hmm. spanish is, is, a, is a dominant language yeah it's i mean this is a characteristic of latin markets generally and it's something that we need to be alert to because there are important moves afoot to boost student mobility within the region right latin america is one of those Parts of the world where we talk about the importance of intra-regional mobility. It has that in common with a with Africa, for example, where there, you know, aside from the numbers of students that are moving further overseas, there's considerable movement within the region itself. And as you say, the the um, the the mobility st- statistics for Ecuador reflect that today. That uh, students are going to to uh, a number of destinations within Latin America, to Spain as well. Importantly, obviously uh, for a shared language, uh, but uh, but we're seeing strong growth for uh, in terms of the volume of students that are going to what are primarily English speaking destinations in the U.S. in Canada as well. Uh, the U.S. year over year growth last year was uh, something on the order of ten or twelve percent. But for Canada, that growth was more was more noticeable. It was thirty uh, percent, uh, just over thirty percent year over year, and I think that points us to a couple of the characteristics of the of the marketplace that are important. That students are concerned about safety. They're concerned about affordability. They're also concerned about uh, opportunities to work both during and after their studies. And that you know, for a destination like Canada, where there's a strong uh, you know work offer. For international students and international graduates, uh, I think that probably is the factor that accounts for some of the more dramatic growth we're seeing in a destination like Canada. Yeah, indeed, those are critical decision-making factors also for students from Ecuador. For those uh, interested in recruiting students from Ecuador, you can find reliable and, of course, carefully screened Ecuadorian student recruitment agents at our upcoming ISEF Latin America event, which takes place 14, 15 and 16 September in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And you can also find Ecuadorian agents at our global industry networking event, ISEF Berlin, from 5 to 7 November this year. For more information and an overview of all of our upcoming events, you can visit isef.com events. Thank you, Craig, as always. And thanks again, Chris and Gotham for their insights in our main topic on the sub-agents. And thank you to all our listeners for spending some of your valuable time with us. We do hope you will tune in again next month. For more information about the topics we've discussed in this episode, please visit isefmonitor.com. And don't forget to share your feedback and questions with us directly via podcast at ICEF.com. This episode was sponsored by ICEF Digital, the one-day networking conference scheduled November 3rd in Berlin that informs and updates international education professionals on the latest digital tools, technologies and solutions that are available to them. Visit ICEF.com forward slash digital for more information. Our Keys to the Market sponsor was COISEC, the Confederation of Intercultural Exchange Organisations in Ecuador.